0: Oh, it's so good to see each and every one of you today. I don't know about you, but I look forward to coming to church. I look forward to seeing you all and uh, being with you all, and so I hope that the feeling is mutual, and I hope that uh, you'll be blessed as much as I am already. At the beginning of each new year, uh, it's natural for people to reflect and to reassess their commitments for the coming year. I'm not going to embarrass anybody. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands if you have done that. But if you haven't, you've got one more week to do it. Okay. Commitments are important to all of us. Uh, They help us to stay on course. They define priorities in our lives. Uh, For example, uh, for those who maybe perhaps make commitments to study hard, uh, for those who make commitments to work hard and things like this, uh, they uh, are very important to us. And if we are careful and thoughtful to keep such commitments in balance with everything else going on in our life, we could have a pretty good life, you know? We could really have a, a goal for ourselves. We can look back someday at and the, and the end of the year and say, wow, we accomplished that. That's what commitments can do. But as you know and I know, life is more than just study or work, all right? It's more than that. And so our commitments have to be more than that. Uh, For example, there are important commitments that we ought to make that concern our spiritual life, our spiritual walk with the Lord, And I know for some people, they say, oh, that'll just take care of itself, you know. No, it's important that we have spiritual goals and commitments that will help our spiritual life. Now, as a result of this, the number of commitments we have can grow and they can multiply, right? There'll be so many of them, just pages and pages and pages of uh, commitments, But I want to point out to you, it is not the quantity of commitments that is so important, but the quality of the ones you have and how well you stick to them. That's the important thing. So if you are evaluating your commitments at the beginning of this year, don't get yourself caught in this trap. I've got to have pages and pages and pages of them. Go back and look them over and see which ones are really important. Which ones do I really have to have? So this is what happens. Let me give you an example. Now, you, you folks who know me know I have seven daughters, and seven of them got married. And so we go through this exercise with each of the young men who come. You know, they, they want to come and ask dad for the daughter's hand in marriage. All right? And so they'll come very sheepishly, and they'll come up, and, and uh, now this, it, this gets complicated because I'm, I'm the father, and number two, uh, I'm the pastor, you know? And so this gets really scary for them. So I like to see them squirm. I like to see them sweat, you know? And so I like to ask them the question, young man, what are your intentions toward my daughter? What can she count on? What can you do? What commitment are you going to make to her? Now, at this point in time, you see them just, their heart just drops. Their their, their Adam's apple just drops to the bottom, you know. And they don't know what to say. Because they want to tell me something they think I want to hear. So, some of them are very clever and very sharp. And so, they'll say things like, uh, go to church. And some of them will say, uh, read the Bible. Uh, Some of them would say, uh, pray, you know. And then some of them really try to put on the the good stuff. And they say, uh, love God and love your daughter, you know. And, you know, that all sounds so good, you know. But then I get real quiet. And that really gets them nervous. Because they're saying, how did I do, you know. How did I do? They want to know. And so uh, I'll ask to them and I'll say, young man, is that a question or a commitment? You know, and by then they're on the floor or they're out the door. You, you see, you know, they, 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 they have, you know, they, they have so many factors that are going on, you know, very simply put, what I want them to is to commit to love my daughter and take care of her. All right. Okay. And of course, I want them to love God and love her and all serve him and all that. Of course I do. But, you know, the way that these men approach this thing is very scary for them. And so I feel for them. But commitments are important. We have to have them. So the question today is, what commitments would God want us to have and to stick to? Now, amazingly, God's word is very clear about certain commitments that we ought to have. As a child of God, as a devoted follower of Jesus Christ, as a true disciple of Christ, okay? It's no great mystery. It's not like God buried it under, you know, all kinds of theological uh, doctrines so that we couldn't find it. No, he puts it right out there for us to see. So what kinds of commitments would help us to accomplish God's purposes here on earth? And so I want to direct your attention to Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 18. Now, as you know, the, you know, the, the last uh, year or so, uh, I haven't had a chance to really you know, spend a lot of time with you consistently from the pulpit. And so when the schedule was produced and it came out that I could have several weeks for you, I really got before the Lord and said, Lord, what is it that you would have me share with the congregation? And so he put some thoughts in my mind, and I'm trying to be faithful and follow those thoughts. And the first one was the one that came up last week, and that was, you know, the, where are we going next year? Where are we going? And so the, the message last week talked about the vision that God has given GBC to be a disciple-making church that transforms lives with the gospel and love of Jesus Christ. It's right on the front of your bulletin if you forget it, all right? And so it's right there. And the theme for our 2016 is present everyone mature in Christ. And this was based on Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. But, but, but for any of this to happen, to be a disciple-making church, to present everybody mature in Jesus Christ, it's going to take commitments. It's going to take clear commitments in our minds, in our hearts, and in our souls, Because if we don't have that, then we're going to be in big, big trouble. But I want to point out that as we approach this whole idea of commitments, which might be scary to some of us, if not most of us in this sanctuary, when we look at it from the Bible, we should keep in mind what Pastor Warren Wearsby said. It's on your outline. It says, the Christian life is not a series of ups and downs. It is rather a process of ins and outs. God works in and we work out. Let me paraphrase this in my version. It's what God does in us comes out through us. All right? And so you don't have to fear about making commitments because God is with us. God is working in us and out of us will come the results of that and they will be reflected in our commitments. So the question then becomes... Are What are are going to be our commitments. Our commitments are founded upon what God has done in the past, is doing in the present, and will do in the future in you and in me. All right? So I'm excited about this whole idea of making commitments. I'm not scared about it as much as I used to be because I know that God is a big part of this whole thing. If our commitments are not founded on God, we will be discouraged, distracted, and divided as individuals and as a church, all right? So, get it out of your mind right now. Yes, pastors are going to talk about commitment. I used to be scared about commitments, but you don't have to be because God is in it. So, I want to direct your attention to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 to 18 the first big commitment that you and I need to make is to be committed to live out our salvation, to live out our salvation. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, some people will read this verse, and they get confused very fast. They'll get confused very fast. Why? Because their mind does a trick on them. And the mind says to him, you just read, work for your salvation. But that isn't what it says. It says, work out your salvation. Okay? If it said, work for your salvation, that would go against passages like Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Mark it clearly down. We do not work for our salvation. We do not earn our salvation. It is a gift of God, and so that's the way it comes to us. And then here in this verse, he says, Now that you have been saved, work out your salvation. Another way of saying this is to put into practice in our daily living what God has worked in you by his Spirit. When, the Holy, when you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, the Holy Spirit comes in and he begins to do a major renovation, a major renovation and transformation. And this affects our worldview. It affects our priorities. It affects the way we think and the way we behave. It affects who we are and what we do. And so this ought not to be a great mystery to you, but sometimes people miss out on this. Work out your salvation, it says. And so we want whatever God is doing in us will eventually come out. When God saves us, he enters into our lives and things become different. In Ephesians chapter 5, when, when Paul was addressing the Ephesians, he described them this way. He says, you formerly lived in the lust of, your, of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh, made alive together in Christ. Big difference. Big difference. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone in Christ, he is a new creation. So, in other words, God is working in us to be more like his son and to, be, and to do as his son. And so, when you accept Jesus Christ, when you and I accept Jesus Christ as our as our personal Savior, meaning that we accept that he died on the cross and rose again from the grave for our sins. Our lives change for the better. All right? So we have to be determined, though, to live that life out. If we decide all I need to do is be saved, I've got my fire insurance paid up. I know where I'm going. I'm going to heaven instead of hell. I'm just going to sit back and enjoy life. That's not what's going to happen. That's not what ought to happen. And so we need to work out our salvation. And so notice also, he says, with fear and trembling. And this means great reverence and seriousness before God. I don't know how you take your commitments. I, I really do I was with a person one time. I said, hey, what, were you, what was your New Year's resolution? And he says, oh, I was going to eat less and sleep more. And I was going to do more exercise. And this was like, you know, 10 days into the new year. I said, how are you doing? Well, I do it sometimes, you know. I've done it maybe once or twice in the last 10 days. For me, that's pretty good, you see. And so many of us have the same attitude when it comes to commitments for the Lord. We just pick and choose. We don't take them very seriously. But what did Paul just say? Paul said, with fear and trembling, you're making it before God, okay? And so we ought to take them seriously. Our commitment to work out our salvation daily should be taken and treated seriously and, and uh, with all circumspectness. So the question then becomes, are we truly committed to living out our salvation? Are we willing to let God change us to what he wants us to be and to do? If we aren't willing to put our lives under the lordship of Christ, then we will struggle in our walk with Christ. Amen? True. That is true. If you're not committed to living out the Christian life, there's nothing left. There's nothing left. Why bother to be saved? <laughs> you might well not even have Christ in your life. But see, that's, what he, that's a commitment we have to give. First commitment... Should be to live out our salvation. Now, this leads us to the second one. Look at verse 13. In verse 13, it's to be committed to live in God's provisions. If you look at Philippians, back to Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, it says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The word work there, and when it says God who is at work in you, the, work, the, work, the meaning of the word work means to energize or to provide enablement, okay? We're constantly in the position, find ourselves in the position where we can't do what God wants without his help, all right? I don't care what you try to do. You try to go on a mission trip. You try to be kind to somebody for Jesus Christ's sake. You can't do it without God's help. God will make it very clear to you that you need His help. By the ministry of His Spirit, we are given what we need to do whatever He wants us to do. Well, how does God work in us? It says in the latter part of that verse, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. God gives us both the desire and the provisions to carry out what he wants. He gives us the motivation and the means to carry out what he wants. Okay? It might be that inner strength that makes it possible for us to accomplish what he wants. Okay? It may be something else that he provides for us. I was at a Christmas party one time and one of our dear church members invited one of his co-workers and he worked at a a major university, medical school. So all of his guests were all these really smart people from the medical profession, you know. I was scared out of my mind, you know. And so I went in this party, you know, and I'm trying to be pleasant. I'm trying to be, you know, cheerful and, and all this kind of stuff. I sat next to this lady she could have killed an elephant with her look, all right? And she says to me, she says, I'm Dr. So-and-so. And I looked at me and I says, I'm Arnold, you know? And, and then she, she looked at me and she says, I teach evolutionary genetics or something like that. And I says, gulp, you know? And, and, and so she says... Uh, What do you do? And I says, well, I'm a pastor. I'm so-and-so's pastor, our host's pastor. And so she goes in there and she says, then you believe in evolution. She says it just like that, you know. And I said, "Uh, yes, ma'am, I do. And so she gets in there and she says, I don't. Now this is really getting scary, all right? This is really getting scary. And so... She goes on and she says, how can you possibly believe that we came from monkeys? And I almost felt like saying, because I've met some, <laughs> you know. But, but I didn't, I didn't. I held my tongue, I held my tongue, and she began to ask all these really hard questions, scientific questions. I, I can't even tell you what those uh, the questions were because I can't pronounce the words she used, all right? And so finally, you know, I started thinking back, and I said, okay, 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 what can I answer her? And slowly, God began to put the answers from a class that I had took on the book of Genesis. And and I started to share some of those thoughts, you know, about the gaps between the evolutionary pattern and all this kind of stuff, and, and how do you explain this, and how do you explain that? And she sat there, and she was paralyzed. You know, I think she was paralyzed, not by my answers, but that somebody even had an answer, you see? And it was God giving me the opportunity and the words to say to her. I didn't offend her in any way. I just presented the case for God. And so at the end of the conversation, I didn't know where it was going to go, but it was favorable, and she just said, "Well, nice meeting you, you know." And that was about it. But I hope that God used that in her. God gives us the inner strength, He gives us the opportunity. He gives us what we need to accomplish what He wants. Paul reminds, of this, uh, reminds us of this in uh, Philippians chapter four, verse 13. Uh, When he says in verse 13, he says, I can do all things through Christ, through him who strengthens me. Or in verse 19, in verse 19, when he says, and my God will supply every need for yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. You see? And so God provides all the things that we need. I think the need of the hour for God's people is to believe and act upon God's promise to provide and that we need to do what he wants us. We need to learn to live on the edge of faith instead of the secure compounds of our own imaginations. God has and is and will continue to supply what we need to do his will for today and tomorrow. Now, this isn't risk for risk sake, okay? Please don't get that impression. I grew up in Texas, and they say, they say in Texas, this, if you want to talk Texan, you talk like this. And there's a fine line between faith and foolishness. Okay, we're not talking about risk for risk sake. What we are talking about is coming to a point where God directs us to step out in faith and to trust him that he will supply what we need. One time I was asked to teach Sunday school. This was the very first time I was ever asked to teach Sunday school. Probably the last, I think. And so the the superintendent of their Sunday school came up to me and said, "Uh, Arnold, we'd like you to teach Sunday school. And a sweat broke out. You know, just like my son-in-laws to be. You know, the sweat broke out. And excuses began to flow out of my mouth faster than a bad drink. And so be, I said to them, what if they asked me a question I should know the answer to? What kind of teacher am I going to be? You know, and I couldn't sleep. And he said, think about it. And I, and I couldn't sleep. I couldn't eat. I couldn't do anything. Because he had asked me to teach Sunday school. Well, this was to third graders. <laughs> you know, so it was amazing to me that I got so wrought up that I felt like I couldn't teach third graders you know but that's the way I think some of you are if if sen or, or uh, you know one of uh, uh, Win Penn went up to you and said hey we'd like you to teach DS or hey we'd like you to teach the children you know you'd probably break out in the same sweat you see but we have to live on the edge folks we've got to live on the edge we've got to trust God that he will give us the things that we need to do what he wants us to do but we have to be committed to live according to God's provisions, okay? So some clear commitments should include being committed to live out our salvation and to live according to God's provisions and promises. But there's one more, and I think this one's even more important. This one's shot me right between the eyes. This is found in Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. And if we start with verse um, 14, it says this. In verse 14, it says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. Okay? And so we we see this, and we see uh, the following verse as well. But in this verse, God begins to reveal to us how what he is doing in our life will begin to show out in our life. And the first one he picks is do all things without grumbling or disputing. Now, the word do there is written in the Greek. You don't know this, but I read it. it, it and the, the, the Greek word for do is in a continuous form. So it means this should be something that characterizes us all the time. Without grumbling, meaning complaining, with the emphasis on a bad attitude, with a bad attitude, all right? And he says disputing, meaning arguing or debating without debating. Now, I have no idea why God put this one where he did. You'll have to take it up with God, all right? But it's right there in the Word of God. I suspect that has something to do with because this is one of the most common afflictions of all mankind. We love to grumble. We love to complain. We love to debate people. We love to be able to see people down on the ground groveling because they couldn't keep up with our marvelous uh, uh, arguments and things like that. And so we come factory-equipped from the womb with this gene that makes us grumblers and debaters and arguers. As one commentator put this insight, uh, gave this insight, I thought it was very insightful. He said, grumbling and disputing is a backdoor attack on God's sovereignty. It is like we are saying to God, if I were God, I would do it this way, not that way. You see? And so what happens is that grumbling and uh, debating uh, or disputing can become really a terrible, terrible uh, sin if we're not careful. If we are constantly upset, grumpy, and grouchy, we will never be satisfied nor successful as a spouse, as a leader, as a team member, or as a person, and neither will God's work. And neither will God's work. Why? Because we can never sit down and get together. <laughs> We're so busy trying to, you know, grumbling and arguing. It's never going to get us anywhere. But that's what happens. So be committed to God's way of life without grumbling and disputing. And then he goes on. He gives us the results. He says in verse 15, for example, in verse 15, he goes on to say, and this twisted generation, the tomb you will shine as light. He says uh, in I I'm using a new Bible, so it's hard for me to find. That you may be blameless and in, in, innocent children without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Notice the emphasis there. That you may be blameless, innocent, without blame, without blemish. The word blameless means, means above reproach. Okay? And it's one other way of saying people can't point a finger at you and say, see, 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 look how bad you are. Or innocent, pure, undiluted, uh, 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 not weak is the word there. And then without blemish. In the NIV, it says without fault. The idea of without reason to be rebuked. (laughs) Wow. He says, all of that can happen. And he says, in the midst of this distorted, twisted generation, you will shine as lights... And the word shine there is also in the tense that it means constantly. You and I can be bright spots in an otherwise dark world. Our attitudes and actions don't go unnoticed by the world. And so when we have a positive attitude, they shine on spotlight on God and the power of the gospel. Okay? So how will this happen? Look at verse 16, the first part of verse 16. Holding fast to the word of life. And so what it means, it means, it means to, uh, to involve the word of God in your life. But he uses the word holding fast. Now, at first when I saw the word holding fast, I thought like you did. I thought that meant, oh, hold it dearly, hold it close, you know, that kind of thing. But you know what that word actually means? Holding fast actually means to hold forth, to hold out, okay? It's like a waiter, offering food or drink to a person. And so what he's saying here is, how are we going to shine like lights? How are we going to live this way? He says, by holding out the word that gives life and the word that is life, all right? So Paul was a true example of that. He faithfully and consistently offered the gospel and the whole counsel of God to all. That's why he was such a shining light. That's why he's such a shining light, okay? It wasn't because of his good looks. It wasn't because of this, that, and the other. It was because he held out. He offered everybody the word of life. So, we see this unveiling to ourselves. Now, here's another thing that will happen, okay? He says, what is working out without grumbling and disputing but look at verse 16, the second half, and on to 18. He says in verse, he says in verse uh, um, 16, the second half, So that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. What does all this mean? Paul says, I did all of the things. I gave it my all. I did not run in vain. I did not labor in vain. It's like an athlete. He says, I went all out to make this happen. I went all out. I gave it 110%. And he says, even if I am poured out as a drink offering, what does that mean? It's an analogy, it's a hint, it's an idea that his time was coming to an end. He says, even if I die, even if I die, that I will be glad that I did this. The Greek word used here for drink offering, poured out over a sacrifice, speaks of the sacrifices that are the wine that is poured over a sacrifice, uh, given on the altar, and is vaporized and giving up a fragrant aroma to please God some total what is it that he's saying here he's saying that look i work so hard and i want this so badly he says even if it takes my whole life away from me i am glad to do this for you and what paul is laying down is a commitment that i think that we have not given much thought to and that is that we are committed to live god's way in such a way as that we put others before ourselves we put others before ourselves have you ever seen that kind of commitment before it is truly an amazing thing to see and that's exactly what paul is trying to say and so when you think about commitments are you committed enough to living life god's way that you would be willing to put everyone else's needs before your own, before your own. I've seen this in mothers in terms of their children. I've seen this over and over again. Mothers will go without new clothes so their children can have new clothes. I have seen mothers go without food so that their children will have food. I have seen them go and selflessly sacrificially put everything on the line for others and for themselves last. You see? It does happen. It does happen. And Paul's saying the same thing. Paul is saying the same thing. Well, what difference can this make, especially to GBC? Committed to live out our salvation, committed to live in God's provisions, Committed to live God's way can make a huge difference in our lives and the life of this church. When we are committed to obey God with no strings attached, the possibilities are limitless. When we are committed to trust God to provide what we need to do His will, the possibilities are beyond our imagination. When we are committed to live for others more than for ourselves, the possibilities become Realities. You know, I'm very disappointed sometimes in so many people coming up to us and what they say to us is, oh, this, this, this church isn't much, you know, there's all this problem, are all that problems and all this kind of stuff. And I wonder in my heart and my mind, and what are you doing to help make it better? You see? You know, they just come and they go and nothing much happens in between. All right? but here when we see such level of commitment it makes all the difference in the world to say it another way are we committed to let god be the lord of our lives are we committed to trust in god's provisions are we committed to give all our all to the welfare of others if the answer is yes then possibilities can become realities okay and this is not just some kind of a sell job. I'm not trying to convince you of anything you don't know. You already know in your life that when you make those kinds of commitments, that things happen. All right? But God is saying it to us today. When, when we do, God can revive and grow this church spiritually and every other way as his people obey and submit to God and learn to accept, honor, and encourage one another. We will learn this in the next few weeks because the next series of messages after this, these few is going to be the one another passages in the Bible. And we're going to learn how to live as a community of Christ. Okay? And so we're going to see how that unfolds. This can happen when we trust God to enable us to bless one another with our skills and gifts. With our skills and dress uh, gifts. And then put the needs of others before our own. Let me me put this down in a more concrete way. There are several announcements in the bulletin that I wish they would just go away. I I just wish they would go away, you know? And I have this dream that someday they will. What announcements am I talking about? I'm not talking about DS. I'm not talking about, you know, those kinds of things. You You know what? Do you know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about the announcements for ushers, for drivers, for children's workers, for sound technicians, and all that. I wish they would just go away. And they will go away if people say to themselves, Hey, I'm willing, I'm willing to live out God's life. I have some skills in that area, and I'm willing to help bless others with it. But how many of us really think that way? You see? It's not on our list of commitments. You see? So it's no wonder that we have to run this announcement. I don't know. They're going on two months now? Something like that? Shouldn't be. Shouldn't be. Okay? I wish they would go away. Clear commitments are necessary and vital to all of us. God wants us to be committed to work out our salvation, to live in his provisions, and to live life God's way without negativity and with selflessness and sacrificialness. That's what God wants. Okay? Now, the question is, to whom and to what are you committed in 2016? Can you answer that question? Can you honestly look at the face of God and say to yourself, hey, I'm yours. I'm yours. I don't do this very often, and you know it. But I feel prompted by the Lord, and I hope you'll be patient with me. I'm going to ask in a minute that we all bow our heads. Some of you have already beaten me there, all right? But I want you to bow your heads, and I want you to pray. And I want you to ask this question. Lord, I truly want to be committed to you. I want to be committed to living out my faith. I want to be committed to you to trust in your provisions. I truly want to be committed to live life the way you want it to be lived. Got it? Now, take a second to think about it. And after you thought about it, I want you to raise your hand to indicate that that's what your commitments are. Okay? Don't, Don't do it unless you really mean it. And then I'll just pray for you. I'm not going to make you walk down the aisle or, you know, do anything like that. Just raise your hand, put it down. Okay, are you ready? Here we go. Raise your hand if those are your commitments. Amen. 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 Any more? Amen. Amen. Anybody else? Amen. Amen. Anybody else? Anybody else? Amen. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Father, you've seen the hands that have been raised. You know the ones who are truly, truly honest about this and want to be committed to you. So Lord, I pray that today would be a turning point for them. And Father, they will really begin to see how they can be shining lights in this otherwise dark world. I pray, Father, that they will have the joy, they will have the exhilarating experience of laying themselves out on the line for you and seeing how marvelously you empower. And, Father, that you marvelously enable them to do what you want them to do. Father, whether it's to be a better spouse, whether it's to be a better parent, whether it's to be a better colleague, whether it's to be this, that, or the other, We commit them into your hands. But we pray, Father, that they will keep these commitments that they have made, and, Father, that you will reap the glory and the honor. Father, for those who are still wrestling with this whole thing, and, Father, perhaps they can put it out of their minds for just a moment. They can somehow find a way to rationalize it away. I pray, Lord, that they won't be able to rationalize it away. But they will confront it face to face. And they will become serious followers and disciples of Jesus Christ through this process. Father, this church is your church. Is it perfect? Absolutely not. But Father, it can be better. And Lord, it can be a church that moves from possibilities to realities if we are willing to make the right commitments. So Father, thank you today for what you are doing. In Jesus' name, amen.